Welcome to Devil 7, episode 113. Daredevil, season 1, episode 11, The Path of the Righteous. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, agents. It's Agent Daniel, and I've got a case of the giggles, but I'm not the only one. I also have a case of the giggles, <laughs> as you can tell from my voice. Uh, the robotic what giggles, I guess. <laughs> what has happened to us, man? There was a time, hundreds of episodes ago, where we were, you know, serious about this work. And on top of it. Um, uh, yeah, Focused. Of course, no one's ever going to hear what just happened. But basically, we had four false starts <laughs> and one point where Daniel just stopped talking because he didn't know that he was supposed to introduce the show. But no one <laughs> ever has to know this, Daniel, because it didn't get recorded. <laughs> it was a lot of different false starts. Yeah. So, well, we're so here it's, now, it's though. It's easy to see my confusion. We're here now and we're here to talk about Daredevil. We've got some news. <laughs> And we've got some feedbacks, and we've got an episode to talk about called The Path of the Righteous. I it won't take long. That's the good news. What? I always say that. Yeah, you do. That's true. Should I not get Ironically, surprised? if you notice, we do spend less time on these, even though they're technically longer than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know why we spend less time on them? <sighs> Tension. More prep time. Hmm. Good. That could be a good point. There, there's less of us uh, just working out our thoughts on the moments air, later. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've thought about some of my thoughts already. Yeah, I, I've got, I've got a number of thoughts, a handful of thoughts, and so I think it's time for us to get started. And we need to start with some news, Daniel. Some news that you have thoughts about. Is that correct? I do. So let's play that sounder. <laughs> uh, extra, extra. Read all about it. It's news. It, uh, what what I'm doing from last episode to this one is I've, I've modified it. Um, so, yeah, that's not just me talking. Okay, let's just get into the, the news. <laughs> Basically, this oh. news item is going to get you excited because you have lots of, of emotions about this or lots of thoughts about this. And it's going to have me well, embarrassed because I don't know how to say the guy's name. And I'm just well, going to get called out about it again. <laughs> So. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to say that I'm overly excited about it, but I do think there's been a little bit of a wrong reaction in some spots about it. So I do want to go ahead and make a plug that I've made a thousand times before about how Disney currently works. And so the big, yeah, go ahead. The big news is, is Kevin Feige is no longer reporting to the CEO of Marvel entertainment. Instead, he's going to be reporting to Alan Horn, who's the Disney studio chief. So technically, his boss is no longer at Marvel Comics. His boss is now at Disney, the owner of Marvel Comics, which is a similar so, setup where that you have with um, uh, with John Lasseter and Pixar and Ed Gutnell. Is that, did I say his name wrong? Ed Ed Catmule. Catmule. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, he's a cool guy. I got his book. You know, Lasseter, Catmule, uh, Kathleen Kennedy. They with all Lucasfilm. technically have a relationship with Alan Horn. 
where Alan Horn is technically the head of the Disney studio and the Disney theatrical releases. The but is, and, and I think there's some folks, you know, and I've seen it in a few different places that are worried that what this means is either MCU is going to become more Disneyfied or that Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, is going to be taking a little bit firmer reins on the MCU. And that's where I just want to say, I think that reaction is a little wrong. I think that this is actually a move for independence for Kevin. Um, Kev Dog is getting his day. And I think what they're saying is, is we're going to treat the Marvel Studios just like we do Pixar and Lucasfilm. And you have to remember that those studios pretty much have story autonomy. Yes, they do have to be accountable for their finances and they have to be accountable for what their stories do performance wise. And they may get notes from Horn, but it's not like Horn is an overly. Oh, troublesome studio head. He, he, he's not getting in there and he's he's not going to tell Kevin how to tell his story. Where somebody at Marvel who believes that they might actually have a little bit more ownership of that story would. So this, at the end of the day, and, and there's been talk about how um, the head of Marvel Entertainment and has had issues with Kevin. Actually, the Kevin's had issues with him. So I think this is really Iger, who is the great Disney purchaser. That's where his legacy is, is purchasing things like Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilms. I think this is him giving a a vote of confidence to Kev Dog. <laughs> I honestly, that's what he's doing. He's Boy. putting him under horn and saying, you get additional freedom. He no longer has to get permission from Marvel entertainment. And again, Alan Horn's going to be relatively easy on Kev. Again, make your money, be accountable. Don't go over budget. I mean, all things that Kevin has been able to show that he can handle and do. So I actually I'm I'm pretty excited about this because being an MCU fan, I will say that I believe that the architect of the story is Kevin. And so now Kevin has a freer hand to tell his story. And again, Disney's all about stories. And as long as he keeps telling stories that make money, Bob, Bob Iger and Alan Horn will leave Kev alone. So my question to you, Daniel, uh, I think this is the question on everyone's mind. Is when did he become Kev Dog? Oh, I've used it before. Me and Kevin are close. We're both Disney fans. He's got that really cool Epcot hat that I. Uh, yeah, you I really want that for. hat. You are, you you. Uh, I don't know. If, are are you? Is it envy? Is is that the the deadly sin? Yeah, yeah. Or is it lust for that hat? It, is I that the deadly sin? Yeah, I totally love that hat. He rocks it too. <laughs> He's blazer. a hat guy. He's definitely oh. a hat guy, but it's it's baseball cap guy. He's yeah. a baseball cap type. So. Now, now one piece that does have to be said: Jeff Loeb will still continue to report to the CEO of Marvel Entertainment. And Jeff Loeb is the TV guy. He's the TV guy, yeah. so he's going to still continue to report. So my thought here, and my actual big question here, is: Is this going to create an even larger rift between the film division with Marvel and the? TV division with Marvel. No, and I'll be honest, I don't know. And and I think what the answer will come down to is how willing are Jeff and Kevin going to work together? Yeah, that's. And I've always had the feeling that they've had a decent relationship. That that's and the question that came blunt, to mind for me. So I'll yeah, be blunt. Be blunt. Do it. We're all Agents friends here. Shield. 
exists to support the MCU, not the other way around. It's true. It's true. It's a 22-episode commercial for a billion-dollar film franchise. If you want to really get get down to brass tacks here about it. And and if you think Tiger's going to inter or Horn's going to interfere on anything, if there's a fight between Loeb and, and Kevin about the use of a character, I could see them then getting involved. But I, I think that this is really, this is the vote vote of confidence. I and mean, Kevin? They, it, yeah. I mean, it's not like they've gone in and interfered on star Wars. They haven't. They've let Kathleen Kennedy lead it. Yeah. At least so far. Yeah. They're, they're definitely letting the story carry itself over there. I think at least that's what it seems to me. And personality was, you know, Iger's really not a storyteller. I, I know Eisner before him thought he really saw himself as a storyteller. Iger doesn't see himself that way. Iger sees himself as a leader and an executive. And if he's unsatisfied with Kevin, I would more likely see him fire him and then replace him with someone else. All right. Well, that's really all the news then that we have here. There is not much more to talk about news wise. There, There's little bits and pieces you know they, they uh maybe we'd already talked about how they cast a villain for for uh luke cage um i don't think we did talk about it last episode but they cast a villain for for luke cage and it was an actress that's she's recognizable and it's interesting you know how is this how is this villain going to work but um i really want to talk about this episode so what do you say we, we get to our opening statements the phone calls that you and i placed and left a message to give our instant reactions to these episodes. Shall we? Do All it? right. Well, let's do our typical awkward moment with Ben and Ben and my refreshing of my memory. All right. Opening statements. All right, Daniel. So let's just jump right in here. I'm going to play. I think you're recording. And for some reason, there's three voicemails here. Three. I, I, I know there was a time when I sent one in and said, oh, no, don't use this one. It was really short. Uh, I don't think that's what happened here. Let's do this. Uh-oh. Did you call in twice? Is the Mandarin in the room? Because I don't think Wesley ever saw that coming. <laughs> I'm just saying. Don't think he saw it coming at all. Hey, how about the gladiator in there? And Mr. Potter, the gladiator. Interesting. Interesting. I kind of like Melvin. Um, Melvin likes nice people, and I hope that Melvin works for nice people soon. I'm just saying. Wow. Um, I'm still kind of can't get over the Wesley being dead thing, and that Karen killed him. Wow. It's That was totally unexpected. I'm just saying. I did not. I was totally Mandarin. Wow. All right, I gotta go. Peace out, So your response to that episode is to reference Iron Man three. That's your response well, to this episode. Well, it seemed appropriate. <laughs> he really didn't see it coming. Yeah. He was in mid chat. I just think it's really funny that your response to this episode is to reference one of your least favorite, if not your absolute least favorite MCU movie. But if I ever had a problem with the MCUing of the Mandarin, 
I was always on board with that. Okay. All right. All right. And then you're sounds like you're on board with the MCUing of Gladiator. Yes, I am. All right. I, I think it's just cool. Well, we'll talk, talk about that for sure because Yeah, I, and I would just continue to say that was cool, but yeah. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. Hello, Daniel. Hello, future me. It's me from the past, but I'm really in my present. But you know how that all goes because you future me. You're in your present. You're just in my future. You you know how it goes. You know, you don't care. Let's just move on because I have to give you my instant reaction on episode uh, 11, The Path of the Righteous. And here's my instant reaction. What the what? This was wow. They call it the path of the righteous. I would have called it the dark night of the soul uh, if it wasn't such a Batman reference with dark night. But it's falling apart for everyone. Everyone. Foggy, uh, Karen, Matt, Fisk. It's all falling apart and it's great i mean no one has any help right now uh people that they reach out to are taken away from them the people that they would like to reach out to they can't the people that they uh would reach out to are you know in bed uh sick or are you know just hate them now <laughs> you know this is good, good dramatic storytelling. Um, but those last couple of minutes, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Now, you, future Ben, you did see that coming because when you were me, you saw it. And then now when you're you, you're watching it again and you're seeing it again. It, yeah. But the episode starts with cartoon violence and it ends with this just deeply personal violence and man man yeah this is uh, again it's not getting better it's maintaining standard of quality that's really really good so that's all i have to say about that talk to you later bye i think i just said everything that i want to talk about with this episode wow okay. so you stole that from yourself i did i did you know that's what past me does he steals and doesn't allow me to have any thunder with any of my thoughts and then there's this i'm kind of scared because i think i remember what i was doing here and i have to say i know i'm breaking the rules ben okay so, I mean, deal with it, okay? Man, you, you've done it. Obviously, you've done it because I'm doing it right now, but I, I'm, I'm calling back to just one more thing I wanted to talk about. Vanessa, she's been on the death watch, you know? Just like Daniel puts everyone from Welcome to Level 7 um, when he on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I have had her on the death watch ever since I saw her. It's unfortunate that she's just there to die, make Kingpin you know, go crazy and stuff, but that's what's happening. She hasn't died yet, but I mean, I'm, I'm right about this, right? She's, she's going to die, right? I'm right about this. I, I have to be. 
Well, that's all I'm doing is I'm, I'm calling in to gloat, even though I don't have final confirmation. But I'm I'm really close. I'm, I'm pretty pretty sure of it. That's all. I I think what's more awkward, Daniel, than the feelings and the tensions that past me and present me have. Is when Mill is really wrong? Yeah. Because I've never said the words Death Watch about Vanessa, and I'm just not going to. And I think I have maybe three times now Mm. uh, in three different messages, maybe just two. But one of them was a callback just to gloat about it. Why would I break the rules to be an idiot? That's the question. You are a fool. I was. I was. I was young. What can I say? Um, so I was impressed with my first voicemail and how insightful it was. And then my second one comes through and just crushes all. all the goodwill that I had for myself. <laughs> but maybe that's an element of good storytelling, though. I mean, I really did think she was going to die and she hasn't wow. yet as of this episode. So I'm very sure of it. So uh, I sound very, very sure of it. Maybe a little too sure, buddy. I think that might be the correct phrase. A little too sure, buddy. Yes. Well, shall we move on then and talk through this episode? Let's do it. All right. Our present day thoughts from our more repeated viewing. Case evidence. Daniel, I see this episode and I three I see three uh, storylines. Well, that's not shocking. Because that's kind of the way I always see things. And I'd, I'd like to chop it up like that. Uh, two of them dovetail into each other, and one of them is not as interesting. And it's just kind wow. of out there by itself. The cheese stands alone. The cheese stands alone, as does everyone else by the end of this episode. Stand alone. Except for the people who are dead and not standing just- at all. I was going to say, because they, they can't stand. They just don't have the muscle control. Yeah. And by people who are dead, I mean, Wesley, not Vanessa. I mean, because <laughs> she I've is not dead at the end of this episode. And you can lean. Uh, weekend at Bernie's scenario with Wesley there. There's some comedy potential there. Uh, if Daredevil were to be, say, a comedy. I say we pitch it. <laughs> weekend, weekend at, at Wesley's. Wesley's. <laughs> oh, that is not a good idea at all. Um. Hey, Kingpin still needs a friend. It's true. And one friend is lying on her deathbed. Some would say on death watch. And the other friend is is dead. I would never have put Wesley on a death watch, though. I mean, you say he never saw it coming. Did you see it coming? No, 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 no. I did not. I think that's the shock of it. No one saw that coming. And you heard in my voicemail. My shocked reaction, but it was also a very quiet shocked reaction because everyone in my house was asleep and I was making the call and not wanting to, you know, wake my kids up as I'm exclaiming uh, craziness in my um, completely non-cursy way because I'm just not a good cursor. Um, Never have been, even when I tried. So, but yeah, never saw it coming. So, Daniel... Here's the three things, the three through lines that I see. And this is the order I'd like to take it in. Let me know if you're okay with this. Let's talk about Matt first and his quest, his armor quest, which is, yes, referencing a a book that I wrote that 
wow. most of our listeners probably have not heard of, but uh, it's there. Um, then we talk about Fisk and Wesley and just what's going on with them. There's a little bit going on there. Not a lot of stuff happening, but there is a little bit. And then Karen and her own quest to find an ally, to find someone to help her fight the good fight. Anyone. And by the end of this episode, uh, like I said in my voicemail, all of them, everyone is standing alone. Fisk has no one at the end of this episode. That might change in another episode, but right now he has no one. Uh, Matt has no one except maybe the priest. Maybe. Foggy. Maybe. Foggy has no one. Karen. Well, except for his girlfriend friends slash whatever she is at the moment. I think she would consider it that whole friends with benefits kind of thing, or maybe just people with benefits kind of thing. I don't see a lot of friendship there right now. Um, I tell you, I'm just going to was... say this right. There's got to be some legal issues there. Oh yeah. Well, no, cause I don't think there's any pending litigation between the two of them. I think that's the kicker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they were against each other on opposite sides of the, courtroom then i think you're getting into some some forms of uh uh you know conflict of interest kind of thing but um no the conflict of interest here is that foggy's just making some bad choices there you go yeah so yeah uh let's let's go ahead and and let's let's talk about matt and matt's quest here um and and his his storyline this is the the least interesting storyline of this episode in, in my opinion there oh, is some interesting on. no he, there's it's, there's some interesting conversation but but this is really the heart and soul of Daredevil comic books. It is. Moody Matt, what's that say? Being self-destructive. What's that on say? women. That's, that's totally. And totally. And, and then typical superhero origin story stuff. That's like every Daredevil comic. I'm well, sorry. Okay, so we I'm start not out, We start with some interesting stuff. With him and Claire, right? We start out, his story is he's getting stitched up by Claire. And then he talks about how meditation helps him heal faster. Which I, I make note of that simply because dude takes a licking but keeps on ticking. If you know what I mean. He is beat up bad often in this series and he's back on the street not long after that. Um, but there might be some magical ninja science going on here with that, with that meditation aspect. And she mentions he needs body armor. He mentions that he has, you know, fought, you know, and, and saw that there was some body armor going on with some of the suits that are being worn by people on the other side. She then says she's leaving the city. And uh, she gives a little bit of a Sunday school lesson. She says that she remembers the only thing she remembers from Sunday school is the, are the martyrs because they all end up the same way, which is blood bloody and alone saints and martyrs. Yes. I think it's important oh, well, saints and martyrs either way. If it's just martyrs or just saints and martyrs, she notes that they end up bloody and alone and dead because <laughs> they're and Matt says. I never said I was either. Yep. And she says, I'll be there to patch you up, but yeah, no, no, no. That's not what she said. You want me to say it? 
Go ahead, say What it. she said is, I'll be there in Luke Cage, maybe Jessica Jones, <laughs> maybe Iron Fist. I mean, I can stop in for an episode. You're filming here locally. Yeah, I'm wondering how they're going to set that up. And there's some interesting possibilities for how they set it up. But she's frustrated. You know, she doesn't like Matt's attitude. She doesn't like Matt's motivation. And she's going to get in deeper into this situation. It sounds like she's appearing in these other shows. And what is she going to do? She's going to be helping out more of these, you know, powered individuals. She is the night nurse. She is the night nurse. But, God you know, let's her. talk about her feelings on his motivations and what he's doing. So she doesn't like it. She doesn't necessarily like what the city has made him, both for good and for ill. But as much as she may not like what he does or the danger that he puts himself in, you have to admit she's kind of drawn a line. Those motivations are such, I really can't have you in my personal life. But I'll I can't help you. Yeah. be romantic with you. But she still, she still recognizes that it's good work that he does. And so she's going to be there to stitch him. And she has come back, you know? I mean, she, she did she's all come the, back twice. Yeah, she did all the stitching up off camera last time before last episode started. She did that stitching, and now this one, I was glad to see her, honestly. I thought it was good. I was glad to see her. So she has put the the bug in his ear about getting armor, and he goes to talk to the priest again, and he, (laughs) the priest wants to know, is he there for confession? Is he there for latte? What is it? He knows who Matt is and knows what Matt does. And so you get some interesting conversation here, too. Uh, and he does drop the line about the fall from grace, which is a, a, a Daredevil reference to a Daredevil storyline. Uh, but Father, uh, what's his name? Father. I just call him priest, the priest. The priest. Um, he says, you, you know, I, I know what you do. And so Matt says, well, why is the devil in me? Why is the devil in me? And. You know, you get some interesting concepts here, some interesting ideas of maybe the devil's in you because you're being called upon to summon the better part of your nature, the angels in you. And, and maybe that's what that struggle that you're feeling. He's talking about the struggle between, you know, his the devil in him and, and this this righteous side, the path of the righteous. And that's actually where the line comes from. Uh, the, the title comes from a line from the priest where uh, he talks about, you know, what drives people to the church? Well, the thought of the devil snapping at their heels. And maybe that's why God created the devil was uh, allowed the devil to fall from grace and be someone who kind of scares us onto the path of the righteous. You know, we have this evil thing snipping at our toes so that we want to, to tread the path of the righteous. And it's, it's a meaty conversation. The priest and Matt, every conversation they've had has been interesting and has, you know, maybe not fallen into where I, I draw some lines theologically or personally with my own beliefs, but they're thoughtful conversations. And again, I think they're thoughtful conversations that cause you to think 
no matter where you lie on a on a on the religious spectrum. And you get a mirror image of this with uh, Fisk basically giving confession to Vanessa and 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 making a promise to her, uh, but talking through some of his faith issues. And Fisk doesn't ask the questions that Matt asks. Fisk doesn't need to because he has his own answers. And and Matt is definitely in the middle of a struggle, a, a existential struggle. So I say his line, his storyline here is the least interesting, but there's some good conversations happening. There's some good stuff. Uh, any more thoughts here about the the priest before we move on to my friend well, and yours, Turk? <laughs> again, this is a whole excellent breakdown that we get here. Um. And two really rich conversations in a row in the Matt storyline. So even though the Matt storyline, I will agree, it's a little blah, a little whiny, a little daredevil-y, if I may say. It is daredevil, to be fair. But, but it's there's some interesting conversations that are going on here between Claire's speech and now the priest's speech. And, and you know, I believe this priest, he steals the show sometimes and... Not quite up to the level as last time, talking about his discovery of the devil. But it's still good, rich, thematic stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I could just just put that on a recording and then just play it again. It'll be my new slug. Rich, deep, thematic stuff. Hot mess is out the door. (laughs) It's not. I really didn't think so. But I did allow myself to get my hopes up for a moment. And then the devil started snipping at my heels again. So, And his name was Daniel. His name was Daniel. And so from here we go to uh, some meditation and healing. <laughs> um, and remembering the battle that gave him those scars. And remembering the beatdown that he was getting from Fisk. Uh and then Matt goes after Turk. He goes after Turk. Wow. Wow. Now, well, he, he asked nicely. <laughs> he, I like that some of their battle is actually just done with words. Where, where Turk is basically like, uh, okay, man. I, I would run from you and I would beat you up and let's just skip all that. Okay. And then he's Daredevil still gets a punch in there, but it's basically look, man, if you run, I'm going to catch you. Let's, let's stop wasting our breath here. And, you know, Turk doesn't realize that a lot of it is just bluster on Daredevil's part. You know, Matt, or is it? No, I mean, Matt is hurting. He is obviously still hurting and he, you can tell in his voice and in his body language, Turk is running from Matt, goes up on the rooftop, and Matt is is there anticipating him. But you can tell Matt is kind of at the edge of of his physical ability there, and and but he doesn't have to do the fight, he doesn't have to take it through all the way, um, because Turk gives up what he wants, which is that body armor. Where does it come from? And where, where does that 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 uh, that trail lead, Matt? It leads him to my friend and yours, Melvin Potter. Melvin, Melvin Potter. And so they get into a pretty brutal uh, brawl, 
And it's good that Matt didn't use up that energy against Turk because he needs it here. And they end up choking each other, not at the same time. But Daredevil's about to go down with a chain wrapped around his neck. He instead wins the battle uh, by turning it around and, and choking Melvin. And Melvin goes, he's out. He's not out, out. He's on the ground. And he mentions that Fisk will hurt Betsy. And you see that Melvin's fighting for Betsy. And, and now they're friends because they both don't like the things that Fisk does. Betsy wants Melvin to be good. So I, I find some interesting things going on here. Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, uh, I mean, first, we have this great Easter egg with the fact that it's Melvin, who's the gladiator, who's an early member of Daredevil's Rogues. Yeah, who is also he's a member of Daredevil's Rogues who gets reformed. And, and is a is an ally for Daredevil. He's a costume maker. Yeah, he's a costume shop guy. He's kind of mentally unbalanced, unbalanced. And Betsy Beatty helps him reform and become an ally for Daredevil. Well, and, and I think from the moment that he comes into his shop and he opens up his dorm fridge and he pulls out a Yoohoo, <laughs> you're like, maybe this guy isn't a bad guy. Now, now, the reason I say that, well, maybe not even bad guy is the word that I should be using. Maybe this guy is maybe a little simpler than you might typically see. Because not only does he grab a Yoohoo from the fridge, but he's also got a, a case of it. And that kind of was almost like an instant visual symbol that I needed to think of him as being a little bit more simpler yeah, I, than I, think, I might have otherwise. I think cognitively and socially, he's he's young. You know, I think but then he's would, he's got this kind of savant kind of thing with, with machinery and mechanical but, things and, and with um you know design really, I think is what it is. But but think about this. It's a workshop, okay? And we know all about product placement in the MCU. It's a workshop. Melvin walks into his workshop. So you're thinking, okay, he's a guy who works with his hands. He's man's man. And he reaches into that fridge and he grabs an ice cold Coors Light. What symbol, you know, what message would that give versus what happens here when he pulls out a Yoohoo? Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's a young mind. It's a, you know, not young mind. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a... It's a simplistic. Sim, yeah. A more simple mind. Yeah. Immature. But, yeah, but yeah. the thing is, the thing is, it's just a great visual cue because right there, the fact that everybody, you, you see him walk over there, you see this big guy, he's got a work shirt on. You expect him to reach in and grab a beer and he pulls out a Yoohoo. Mm -hmm. And but then he's like, whoa, whoa, didn't expect that. Yeah. But then he fights Daredevil and it's a, it's a throwdown. It's a brutal fight. Well, I did see the cuts in his body. I mean, those stitches are pretty big. This guy, man, he's he's fighting hard. And he's doing it for Betsy, though. He's fighting for Betsy. And I'm instantly, even though I don't know who Betsy is, I'm a little worried about Betsy. I'm very worried about Betsy. I Because I, I feel like I've gotten to know Melvin in seven seconds. <laughs> Well, we do. We do get to know him a little bit. And he ends up turning around. Because why? Daredevil wants the same thing that that, that Gladiator wants. And now I'm going to do my humph and puff about this scene. Okay. 
Matt Murdock is such a liar. He is so daredevil. What? He what? can't what are you truly talking about? Prom- he cannot truly promise that he's going to keep Betsy safe. That's what he promises. You make me a suit and I'll keep Betsy safe. And even before the scene's over, he's kind of pulling back on his promise. And he's like, well, I'm going to try. And it's almost like, but hey, if I don't keep you safe or Betsy safe or me safe, it'll be fine because we'll all be dead. <laughs> well, you know, and, and this is where Matt is the only one who ends this episode with an ally still in his corner. But it's not it's not an ally who's going to be there for him. It's an ally that he's kind of manipulating into helping him so that he can go off on his own lonesome self again. So I leave this Melvin scene mad. <laughs> Liking Matt a little bit less. I just see this. I mean, his arc. This is this is what's not interesting to me. His arc in this episode is to have these meaty conversations with Claire and with the priest. And then to turn around and it's just about him getting armor for his origin story so that by episode 13, he can be in the costume. You know, it 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 doesn't ring as as uh, sophisticated as it starts out. It doesn't end as sophisticated as it starts out. It doesn't ring as true to what we start out with where we're thinking, oh, he's he's going to he's going on this journey now. No, the journey is just to find some better equipment. So. Ladies and gentlemen, professional writer Ben Avery. <laughs> sure, whatever. So let's go to Fisk then. And what is Fisk's arc? What is Fisk's storyline in this? And the Fisk stuff will will take it up to the point where Wesley has left. And and then we'll we'll dovetail that in with, with Karen. But basically, Fisk is there. They're at that hospital. Uh, we start out with a cartoon, which is kind of weird. But I, I think, like, I left him on the message. There's some thematic stuff to that cartoon where it's cartoon violence. And then, you know, but it's impersonal and it's, it's humor, humorous. The violence in this episode, and really in Daredevil in general, is not humorous. It, violence is never played for laughs in this, except for, like, that little, well, like, yeah. The little thing with Turk that's played for laughs a little bit. That punch, the threat of violence that's played for laughs. I'm wrong. Never mind. No, I think it played but, for a little bit, a little soft comedy. Yeah, but but generally speaking, the violence in Daredevil, the series is meant to make you feel. And so you start out with this cartoon violence and then we have these effects of real violence coming in the hospital doors. And that's Vanessa. And uh, Fisk is angry. Fisk wants vengeance. Fisk is, I mean, he he wants, he demands to be let into the room where they're going to be working on her. Um, the nurse stands up to him. And he, he, he uses the, he bellows, he, he growls the phrase, do you know who I am? And she's, I don't care who you are, but we'll, we'll let you know what's going on later. Just stay out. He's already using his power because he's in a quote unquote, you know, rat hole sort of emergency room. Mm-hmm. And he's bringing in the big name doctor. Yeah. Yeah. We can't, I mean, he's, you know, if you, if you can't take mama to Muhammad to the mountain, move the mountain to Muhammad is, is the kind of thing there. Um, 
Yeah, and so he wants to know who attacked Vanessa. So what's he doing? <laughs> He's going to send Owlsley to talk to Gao. Oh, Owlsley's And Owlsley's not happy about it. No. No, he's not. But is he faking being not happy about it? I mean, at this point in time, I'm still, I'm, I'm still, um, I'm suspicious of Owlsley. I think we should be. I think Owlsley's out for Owlsley. Yeah, yeah. Because I could see a motive for Owlsley to take Vanessa out of the picture. Because well, Vanessa is right distracting there. Fisk. I mean, Owlsley's giving you that message. He he's needs to get absolutely. back to work. But is it, oh, I'm taking advantage of the situation to get Fisk back to work? Or is it I'm creating the situation to get Fisk back to work? And it's not a sense of I want to be the man in charge. It's the sense of I make money when the man in charge is. He needs to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. So Fisk and Wesley have a conversation and, and basically Fisk tells Wesley, you got to find out who did this find out who did this so I can kill them completely and brutally and look them in the eyes while I do it. But Fisk is also feeling responsible for this. And there's, I made a little chart here cause you got some interesting. <laughs> well, thank goodness we're a visual presentation. Well, I'm going to talk through the chart, but there's some interesting uh, mirror images going on here because you have daredevil and Claire and Kingpin and Wesley who are kind of helping each other. And, and I like that. It's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, mirror image here of, of these two men who are basically solo operators who aren't solo operators. I mean, the, the Lone Ranger had Tonto, Batman has Robin, Kingpin has Wesley and Matt has night nurse. But then you also have in this episode, uh, Claire standing watch over Matt and helping him to heal. And you have Fisk standing watch over Vanessa and helping her to heal by bringing in, you know, the doctor, you know, who can, who can take care of that. So I say it's a little chart. It's a very little chart <laughs> and easy to talk through without the visual Ooh. medium that we need. Thank heavens. Yeah. I was totally worried. Nope. 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 No need to worry. I'm going to let my worries go. So then while Fisk is with Vanessa, Fisk's mother calls. <laughs> Wesley takes the call and finds out about Karen, basically. I mean, this is not good. Not good at all. And well, Owlsley comes and makes the report that Gal will stand with them. But. He's not he filled thinks. with confidence. Yeah, he's not filled with confidence in this situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all these things, these alliances and friendships are falling apart. And Wesley is gone then. Fisk is at Vanessa's bed. He talks about his imitation of faith. He talks about how he, you know, his his mom, he thinks, actually needs needed to go through the motions of, you know, religion or whatever, but um, he just couldn't bring himself to believe or whatever. And then he says, but I'll do this. I can't pray for you, Vanessa, but I'll make a promise for you that God can't stop me from making 
then that's that the people who did this are going to suffer. And then we all get a little uncomfortable. Yeah, because who are the people who did this? Well, well, we don't really know. We don't. And that means, I mean, who's going to have a big target painted on their back? We don't know. The man in black. Yeah, well, but we do know that Wesley has a target. And the target is Karen. And we'll get to her in a moment when we come On back the to the next episode of Geraldo. When we come back to this the the end of this Fisk and Wesley storyline. Uh, but first we need to talk about Karen and go back and talk about her her quest. Okay. Where does her quest start? She's looking for someone to help her out. So where does she start? She goes to Matt. <laughs> she goes she's just Matt. upset. Yeah. These boys. Boys, boys, boys. Matt lets her in. And one of the things I noticed that was kind of funny is him still you know, doing the pretend to be blind thing because she doesn't know. And so he's like walking to a chair and putting his hands out, you know, and um, I think that that was a nice touch to actually frame the scene so you could see him doing that just to bring home once more to us. Foggy knows that he was lying and Matt is going to continue the charade because he feels he like needs he needs to. to. He has to. And it's true. I mean, he, he does have to, if he's going to keep his daredevil uh, stuff, a, a secret. Um, and so you get some excuses for why he's hurt because <laughs> foggy. Accidents. Yeah. Foggy said it was a car accident. Oh, well, I hope it was one of those expensive German cars. No, it was Japanese. Is well, it? and it's just awkward because we know it's his fault. And he says it was his fault that the accident happened. And that's why they can't sue. But as he continues the conversation, and even before the conversation starts, she notices, you know, his, his apartment is a mess. Much like my office. Well, except it's a mess, you know, caused by, you know, ninja fights with his mentor. There's no promise that that's not what happened in my office. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take that at, at face value. You know my ninja stance. <laughs> Ninjas make everything better except your office? Maybe. Maybe. But anyway, they... She, I mean, this is knows. a grown man who did an entire rant for 20 minutes today about dolphins. I don't even know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> that would be me. I, I figured out you're talking about yourself. I don't. Well, I have dolphin issues. Okay. I mean, uh... they think they're so smart. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> they're not. They are, Daniel. If they were, they'd have opposable thumbs. I don't know where this conversation came from, but dolphins are smart. We need to get no. back on task. Okay. There is a war between us and the dolphins, and you need to be prepared, Avery. You know who's smart is Karen. She knows that Matt is lying. She knows there is a lie. She knows that Foggy is in on the lie. She knows that it's something between Matt and Foggy. She doesn't know the extent of it yet, but she's not an idiot. You know, she does not suffer from Jimmy Olsen syndrome. She notices things. And she recognizes that things are not what's being presented to her. And she's not happy. She knows Matt is lying and Matt is not going to help her to get people to look 
more closely at Fisk. You know, she comes to him with that story about what Fisk did as a child. She's like, you know, I, I talked to his mom and his mom gave me the, the episode summary for, uh, shadows in the glass. And, uh, and he's like, ah, yeah, sounds like a great episode of the show, but you know, we can't use that. It doesn't help. I was anything. always a rabbit in a snowstorm man myself. Yeah. Yeah. Is what he's thinking. So then we cut away, and this is I, I'm I'm keeping this as part of Karen's story, but Foggy left Matt and went to boy, I wish I could remember her name. I can't either. Uh in my notes. Blonde lawyer. Okay, let's go with that. Blonde that doesn't lawyer. All sound problematic for us. Mm, I wrote pencil skirt. Mm. Yeah. What are we going to do? Uh, we should maybe look it up, maybe stop the recording and completely remove any. <laughs> it seems like effort. So let's just move on. I think you, the listener. Marcy, exactly Marcy, it's Marcy. <laughs> it's Marcy. Well, now I'll never get that out of my mind. Well, that's good. We want Marcy in our mind. Who? Marcy. Uh, who is that? I don't know who that is. Marcy is the other lawyer. Oh, the one that Foggy left Matt and then rolled into bed with her. Oh, blonde lawyer. Yes. Yeah, I'm never going to remember her name. Oh, I am now. Marcy. Who's that? <laughs> so this is. <laughs> Giggles engaged. <laughs> so Marcy is, is who Foggy goes to. And Marcy's not interested in any of Foggy's personal problems. Um, she is glad to see him again. She's glad to re-engage with their physical relationship that they had, you know, years ago or how, however long ago it was, maybe back in at law school or whatever. But, um, he's, he's there. I mean, this is him reaching out in desperation to someone because his best friend, I mean, Foggy is devastated. Foggy has been completely wrecked by by what Matt has done to him. His most important relationship is a lie. Yeah, yeah. And so he's where is he going? He's going to where he can get that that some sort of connection, some form of connection. And I don't I don't this is like I wrote in my notes. Poor, poor choice. That's my initial notes. Um, but. On the on the flip side, you can understand the impulse. You can understand what he's doing. He's trying to reach out to someone, anyone. Who can he reach out to? Um, someone who's not going to judge him. Someone who is going to give him at least something to divert his emotional uh, pain. And, someone who doesn't want to be involved. And show, yeah, someone who just doesn't care about that emotional pain. So that's... That's where Foggy is. But we find out later on that, that Karen's been trying to call him. And he has been ignoring the calls and has been answering the voicemail. We'll get to that. Um, but then back to Karen herself. She tries to go to Ben. She's trying to convince Ben now. Ben, you know, I have this mission. Come on, buddy. Come on, man. And and he's he 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 mirrors uh, not mirrors he actually repeats matt's problem you know this is not going to help 
This is not going to do anything. This is nothing. He did that when he was 12. So poor Karen has to move on. She poor finds Karen. Foggy at Josie's. And that's where we find out Foggy's been getting the messages, but not calling her back. Foggy's, you talked to him. What did he say? Foggy's not going back. To, he hasn't been back in the office. Um, but the... He took the sign down. The sign is in the garbage. The dream is over. Yeah. yeah. Like if you and I were to ever break up. The sign is in the garbage, Daniel. And Elena's building is being torn down. And she presents it to Foggy now. And Foggy's like, no, man. This is nothing. It's not, it's not going to help anything. He did it when he was 12. What does it prove? You know, it's it's just you're you're there. There's nothing positive here. That this nothing is going to help us. So she goes and calls Ben again, and now she's finally getting at least a little bit of response. And so from Ben, she actually gets a little bit of light, and you actually see some brightness in her face when she finally talks to Ben the second time, and she gets some moral support from Ben, and we find out that Ben's actually working on the story. He's looking into things. What does this mean? Well, we'll find out in the next couple of episodes, but that's good. I mean, I feel bad that Ben is actually kind of, you know, going back on the moral reason that he had to not follow the story. Well, and he's not happy about this. No, he really feels like he's been forced. He can't help himself. That's how Karen's found a friend. She forced a friend. An unwilling participant. He is one of those. I mean, he could potentially look at this situation and say the choices were made for him. Uh, if you want to go back to that idea with Kingpin. Mostly because he's obsessive and can't let it go. Well, it's a good story. And it might mean what they actually think it might mean. This could be something that you could use to catch Kingpin in a lie. Because he has said his mother is dead. And if he trots his mother out because he was, you know, she's alive, he was hiding her. Why was he hiding her? Well, partially because he was hiding her and hiding his sin of, I say sin in a general sense of, you know, killing a person. <laughs> um, he's hiding her because he has killed someone and she helped him to hide that murder. And so is this potentially something that could, if not be a legal win, be a public personal win for them by putting his character in the spotlight. So yeah, Ben's back in though. Ben's back in. He keeps right trying to I get out, but he out. keeps, yeah, exactly. Right when I was out, they pulled me back in. So then Karen gets kidnapped by Wesley. And this is where things get crazy good for this episode, where you just, what in the world is going on? And well, and Wesley was trying to be a good friend. He grabbed a gun, grabbed a car, but left the men to guard his, his friend. Yeah. But he told and no one where he was going or what he was doing. Well, did you really think he thought he was going to die that night? He didn't. He didn't. But it's also very convenient for our script writers 
because it does allow Karen to get out of there and potentially get away with what she's done. Because let's face it, you don't want to kill Wilson Fisk's best friend. No, only friend. Well, Not counting his girlfriend. Only qualifies as best. If there's no Good other point. friend, then it must be your best friend because it's your only one. Is that why you're my best friend? You're really making me feel awkward today. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. I got plenty of friends, buddy. Uh, so Karen wakes up. Wesley is there. You're like my eighth friend. Okay, well, thanks, man. Maybe sixth. Why are you rating? You're putting me on a scale, your friends? I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Don't, don't put, I know you're, I know you're not number one, but don't put me on a scale and then tell me where I fit on the scale. She's Daniel. Come on. Man. I snorted. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so Karen wakes up. Wesley is there. He gives this whole thing about how, you know, we spared you. We spared you after the union allied thing. But again, going back to choices being made for you. You know, you made some choices and they brought you here and he's mean. He's threatening. She says, are you trying to scare me with these speeches? Or he's like, no, no, I'm trying to scare you with this. And he puts a gun on the table and they have this nice little conversation about, do you hate the city or do you love the city? And, um, you know, Wesley hates the city, but Fisk loves it. And. That's why Wesley is there. That's why Wesley is doing what he's doing. And what is he doing? Well, he has had a conversation with Fisk's mom. And Fisk's mom remembered Karen and remembered Ben. And this is where you're like, oh, no. No. Ooh, not good. Mm -mm. Not good. Um, what If those meddling kids hadn't gotten <laughs> in the middle of this. So she asks, are you here to kill me? And Wesley says, no, I'm here to offer you a job. And what's the job that he's going to offer her? Go and convince everyone that you know that Fisk is actually a good dude. Or well, we will kill everyone that you know. Well, in, what's interesting, too, is for a show, especially an episode that has so many religious overtones, I swear he straight out says evangelist. I think he does. Well, I think he does. Be, be an evangelist to Wilson Fisk. Yeah. So, in effect, he wants her to be a mouthpiece to the gospel of Wilson. Mm, maybe she is the uh, Karen the Baptist who is preparing the way for Wilson, son of Will, but you, son of Bill. But. You can partially joke about it, but really that's what he's offering. You're, you're someone who others listen to. You're convincing. You're going to tell everybody in the city, Wilson's the guy. Yeah. And what's what's kind of funny about this, you know, he's offering her this job or whatever. What she's what he's demanding of her is the exact opposite of what she's been running around the whole episode trying to get people to do, which is to turn against him. And it's kind of funny because he's saying, go out and try and convince people that he's good. But she can't even convince people to go after him with what evidence she has that he's not good. He, Wesley almost doesn't even need to do this. Almost. You know what he should really do? What? He should just kill her. <laughs> Sorry. You know, this is twice now that he didn't just kill her. And both of those, if you're looking at things from his perspective, 
probably not good choices. Yeah, you really. If you're if you're going the path of evil instead of the path of righteous, you're making the wrong choice here. Yeah, he's monologuing, and it means he's going to die because the phone rings. It's Wilson, and it startles him just enough that she's able to reach across the table. The drugs have worn off. The drugs that were keeping her kind of limp in the chair. And I wonder how long the drugs have been worn off where she's still just pretending to be limp in the chair. But she snatches that gun and she points it at him. And then we think it's all going to go differently because he's like, do you really think I'm so stupid? I put a loaded gun away across from you. And then she says something that completely surprises, I think, every single person watching this show. She says, do you really think this is the first time I've shot someone? <gasps> Boom. Oh, you're right. More appropriate what you did. And then what does she do? She shoots him. And shoots him. Five and shoots him. And shoots him. <laughs> and shoots him. And he is dead. And I am shocked. You are not shocked. just mostly dead. He's dead, dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can just put him on that cart when they come asking you to bring out your dead because he is it's done. It's done. And I after that first shot, I'm like, whoa, oh, my goodness. Now that that first shot went into, you know, near his right shoulder, which if you're going to get shot in the chest, that kind of upper portion of your chest on the right side. I think that's one of the better places to get shot because you maybe you're just nicking a lung or something like that. But she wasn't done. And she makes sure he is dead. And it's a surprise. It's a surprise to Wesley, to you, to me. And I would venture to say most of our listeners, if you were not surprised by that, then um, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe you're more more perceptive. Maybe you're more understanding of of Karen's character. No, no, you're a liar. <laughs> no, Daniel, I was being nice. You, you're just you're a liar. Okay. And what it does though is the surprise rings true because it is a revelation of an a piece of her character. That line. You think this is the first time I've shot someone. We now know, okay, there's a gun involved in her past. She could have been lying. I don't think this is a point where she's lying. This is not about bluster. This is not about bluff. Wesley was lying. Because he was bluffing her. He knows that it has bullets in it. And he is trying to convince her to just put down the gun and give up without having to, you know, risk getting shot by her. Uh, Yeah, he's bluffing, but she's not bluffing. She's not bluffing. She is willing to do what it takes to get out of this alive. And this man has threatened, literally threatened to kill everyone she loves. And not kill her until her tears are dry because she has no more tears to cry. I, I'm telling you, man, this is this is brutal. It's personal violence. That's what I called it in my message. Uh, past me nailed it. This is personal violence. 
this is not good in the the sense of something to emulate, but it is good storytelling, and it is, I I think it is true to her character because of what was revealed to us with that line. So, not that she's Aaron's not going to be affected hide by body. it. Yeah, no, she's not going to hide the body. Well, she's going to hide the gun. Why would she hide the body? Because that's difficult. <laughs> but if Ma taught us anything, you get a saw. Oh, man. So through that, then the phone keeps ringing. The phone keeps ringing and Fisk is on the other end and Fisk is alone. Well, he's not alone. Vanessa is there in the bed, but unconscious and, and dying or at least I thought she was. But, um, and he's standing there. He's alone. He has no one now because Vanessa is lying on her deathbed. Wesley is dead. Owlsley is cynical about everything that's going on or is behind everything that's going on. Madame Gao, she is not on his side. I mean, she's, she's on his side as long as it is beneficial for her. And he's got no one. And this is where that dark night of the soul, this is the moment, this episode is the moment where, you know, everything, this is that act two break where we move from act, act two to act three, where everyone is at their darkest moment. And literally all of our main characters are at their darkest moment. Uh, Wesley's darkest moment being death. Karen's darkest moment being she has killed someone who is good friends with a very powerful and very evil man. And she has no one to support her except a little bit of moral support from Ben, but she doesn't know that he's following up on the story. I'm just saying if, if she drink with Matt, he'd be fine because he's so daredevil. (laughs) Matt is alone. He has lost his best friend. Karen he has pushed Karen away and Claire has said, I will help you. I will patch you up, but that's it. Foggy is alone. The woman that he, you know, fell into the arms of is not someone who wants to emotionally support him. It's not someone who wants to um, care for him and help him to feel better other than what pleasure it brings for her. They're all alone. And this is that darkest point. And so the question now is, how do we claw our way back into the light? Can we? Can these relationships be... Can these relationships be patched up? Can, you know, can they follow the path of the righteous? Can they get done what they need to get done? But can they also help each other? These questions and more will be answered on the next Mori. Or on the next episode of Daredevil, the ones we leave behind. Which I don't remember a lot about. I just remember there's emotions. The feels. Are you getting the feels out of that? I remember there being some feelings that I had within me. I just don't remember what they were. Something about death. (laughs) Which, you know... That's 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 a big element here in in this show. People dying, 
and consequences. There's consequences to violence. There's consequences to their actions, to their choices. It's sophisticated superhero storytelling. So, there you go. There I go. Daniel, you have a, a final word before we move I, to our witness testimony? I, I do think our... that this episode is a little bit lower key in the story area and in the action area. But there's still some interesting stuff going on here. Yeah, the, and the story is being pushed forward. But that's what we're getting here is kind of the push forward. There's not a lot of action that's taking us from place to place. It's we're getting set up now. We're getting set up for the final act. And, and I do think we should be thrilled because after giving us a daredevil that we actually liked, a Matt Murdock that we found to be enjoyable, he's now officially so daredevil. <laughs> Giant jerk. Sure. I am self-destructive in my relationships. <laughs> I have more women die on me than James Bond. Claire, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. Well, we'll find out if she did the right thing in season two of Daredevil and in season one of Jessica Jones. All right. Should we find out what some listeners have to say about various topics and sundry? Let's do it. All right. Witness testimony. Hey, can I take the first one? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember okay. what the first one is. Let me bring that up here. Well, I, I love a good but take a good it. message, a good transmission that just says random thoughts. Okay, yes. <laughs> Agent 417 here. <laughs> I've been spending some extra time rewatching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2 and making my way through Daredevil for a third time. I should probably make a habit of writing more often because this is going to range pretty far afield. First, I'd like to point out something in Daredevil Episode 8, Shadows in the Glass. While in Melvin Potter's workshop, Owsley and Fisk are having a conversation about how things are beginning to fall off the rails. Leland specifically says, My son was coming to visit. I had to tell him, No, stay out of New York, Lee. That little nugget shows that the owl has yet to be written out of the MCU because there's another Lee Owsley. Although I feel like the owl is a cornball villain, He's definitely not as silly as Stiltman. Dude, Amen. just go ahead. Play it. Play, play it for me. Drop it. <laughs> do not do that Dage in 417. Drop. The new prize winner of the day. Wow. Not that. Uh, so there could be a younger owl out there. Maybe a darker owl. Yeah. Well, and I was playing the uh, sad trombone for Stiltman. No. Not for Agent 417. Okay, very good. Second, I'm pretty excited to find out what's happening to Gemma inside the monolith. In the last few episodes of Season 2, one of the main reasons that the Inhumans attacked the ship is because of the secret cargo, while Jaying mentioned could be used to destroy them. I think Gemma will come out of it even more opposed to the Inhumans, but now she will be enhanced somehow and have the means to try and stop them. Third, I loved Ant-Man. I think I liked it more than Age of Ultron. I've only seen them once each, but my lower expectations for Ant-Man helped me like it more. My pet peeve with Age of Ultron was that Falcon was not at the final battle. His skill set fit in perfectly and could have been rescuing and he could have been rescuing civilians just like War Machine. I kept waiting for him to pop up, but alas, he did not. Ant-Man to me was the perfect palate cleanser. It was a great to see a movie 
where only one building got destroyed. <laughs> I also really appreciated the humor that was laced throughout, and Paul Rudd is a great addition to the list of actors in the MCU. Fourth, it only took three weeks for the Fantastic Four to land at the Discount Theater. <laughs> I'm going to go watch it as a formality next week. Fifth, some wild speculation. In DD Episode 3, Ben mentions looking into Karen's sketchy past. Deborah Ann Wall played a character on True Blood. Wesley Snipes has been talking about publicly a return of Blade. Karen Page is a vampire, and Blade will return in Season 2. <laughs> Man, we already played the sounder, didn't we? Yeah, we did. You, uh, Last, you asked Oh, go me. ahead, drop it again. You can't do two no prizes Fine. for one message. Okay. That's going too crazy, Daniel. Too crazy. So that, so that, so that's the line. That's the line then. Yeah. That's the line I can't cross. That's I'm 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 putting that line right out there. That's the that's Fine. the yeah. Lastly, I'm super excited about the future of the MCU between the casting of the Punisher and Electra. I'm waiting for tidbits about Jessica Jones. I can't hardly stand it. Not to mention next next year's two movies and Agents of Shield season three and Agent Carter season two and Luke Cage next spring and Marvel's <laughs> Most Wanted and yet to be knowing show from John Ridley. Whew. Did I mention everything? You guys are going to be super busy. You guys are doing a great job. We've got at least one loyal listener in this corner of Missouri. Agent four one seven out. Yeah, we're figuring out how to make it work. But yes, super busy. That might as well be our superhero name. Hi, I'm Daredevil. Hi, I'm Captain America. Hi, I'm super busy. Hey, you know what I think? What do you think? Clones. I'll look into it. If it's good enough for Stanley, it can be good enough for us. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting into some messages that were thought to be lost because we, first of all, we didn't know we had gotten them. And then we found out some people had used our uh, content, our contact form on our website to contact us with some messages. Well, we weren't getting notified about them, but they weren't lost. They were actually saved on our server. And so I've been sorting through them and trying to find, you know, the, the best way to present some of these, because some of them are timely to a specific episode of this podcast. And when I say that, I mean, m from months ago when when uh season two of agents of shield was on and so we're trying to figure out how to use some of those but there are some other ones that do have a more timely um uh subject line and so like this one subject is is dd and this is from agent ht now um this one i i just wanted to bring it up because it looks like uh a, a throwaway line that i gave while we were still talking about agents of shield but we had started watching daredevil um and this was the message was, wow, Daredevil isn't any good. We are watching the same show, right? The one on Netflix. I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. And Agent HT, I do want to apologize if I did give you the impression that we actually didn't think it was very good. I remember saying that uh, just like as a joke you know, when Daniel brought up Daredevil. I said, yeah, it isn't very good or something like that because he hadn't watched it yet. Um, uh, yeah, so that's. That's that message there. But here's another one from Agent Zach. And the subject line is Daredevil Episode 1 and not killing Karen in her apartment, which is something we had talked about. Like, why didn't they do that? Or why didn't they try? And his message says, you mentioned why Karen wasn't just killed, but rather set up to be arrested and killed in jail. The way I think about it is like this. And this has been kind of butting in. And that was 
you know, we, we speculated about trying to figure out, you know, this is kind of an elaborate plan <laughs> to, to get it set up so she could die in jail and be killed in jail instead of just killing her outright. Uh, so Agent Zach says, if they did kill Karen and her coworker in her apartment, there is still doubt as to what exactly happened, especially as to why a murder-suicide would have happened. Instead, they have Karen look like she killed the coworker. Once she's in custody, the suicide looks like her unable to deal with the guilt and or consequences of killing the coworker, giving no real reason to have to investigate. Only someone convinced of a conspiracy would think that it looked fishy, whereas killing them both in her apartment would look like something that needs investigation to just about anyone. Well, that's the way I understood it. I hope I haven't just confused things further. And I would say, Agent Zach, uh, that no, you have not just confused things further. In fact, the new prize winner of the day. I mean, that is deserving of a legitimate no prize right there. In a, in a long time coming. Yeah, I like, literally since it was a lost email. I, I like the explanation, though, and, and how, yeah, just killing her outright, killing them both outright. Uh, you know, once is an occurrence, twice is a conspiracy. And to kill both of them, that would raise the need to investigate. But to kill one of them, pin it on the other one, and then she commits suicide. Well, that's her admitting her guilt. Right? I mean, you wouldn't commit suicide if you were yeah. innocent. Exactly. It, I think it works. So... Thank you, Agent Zach. Hey, I have a messenger from Agent Rabbit called Devil's Accidental Win. I think this is directed to you, Ben. Okay, let's hear it. Agents Ben and Daniel, many thanks for the fun and entertaining conversations. I've been enjoying your analysis of Daredevil. I just wanted to point out one thing regarding Speak of the Devil, though. In your analysis, you didn't like that Daredevil won by accident. Looking at it from a meta level, from the writer's perspective, though, he had to win by accident. The key point of that episode was Matt struggling with not wanting to kill. So the, from the writer's perspective, he couldn't kill Nobu. But Daredevil had to survive the fight, and Nobu had to die in order to increase the fiction between Fisk and Owsley. Given all the factors, I think this was the appropriate writing choice. That's just me, though. Agent Rabbit. D do you need to do something, Ben? I think so, Daniel. Should I do it? Yeah, I, I think it's allowable since this, again, another lost one. I, I almost think that there needs to be two things happening here. One would be played about me, but I'm going to play the one that's about Agent Rabbit. So I'm not playing sad trombone. Oh, In I fact, then I'm going to play the new prize winner of the day. Daniel, we're, we're handing them out like the candy. But uh, again, we're getting fair, some good insight here, though. I mean, these are it should have come from the past. So it, it should have happened. Yes, because we did get this. Wait, no. This one's from Saturday, August 29th. Oh, that was just a while ago. Yeah, this one actually wasn't a lost email. Doesn't oh. matter. <laughs> Doesn't well, you're matter. Still giving it. I'm still giving it because it's deserved. And yeah, you, it, you know, it is looking at it from the meta level from the outsider looking in on the story rather than from, you know, what would make sense for the characters. But yeah, yeah, we got to go. We got to go there. Uh, okay. So our last one is about fantastic four. 
And uh, this is from Agent Nate. And he's actually the one who alerted us to the fact that uh, we might not be getting these messages because of this very message, actually. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, subject is they never get Dr. Doom right. He says, hello, Dandy Daniel and Ben, not grim. Uh, I listened to your podcast on the new Fantastic Four last night between you two. And the email from Agent Evan, you said pretty much everything I would have said about the movie. I can say that I seem to be a bit nicer to it than most. In my review for Examiner.com, I gave it three stars out of five. But I must admit, I dislike the movie the more I think about it. There was one thing that bothered me a lot that you didn't talk much about. Doctor Doom. I will admit up front that I've only read the first five or six episodes, five or six issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four, and those didn't feature Doom. Regardless, I'm disappointed that filmmakers didn't uh, don't seem to be able to get Doom right because he's one of my favorite comic book villains. In both this movie and the first Tim Story film, Doom isn't the dictator of Latveria, doesn't wear armor, and has unnecessary superpowers. The genius in how Stan Lee set him up is that even if the Fantastic Four or any superhero defeated him, Doom could claim diplomatic immunity as the ruler of a sovereign nation. He didn't need superpowers to be dangerous. He has knowledge of both science and mysticism, often combining them in dangerous fashions, hence his seriously overpowered armor. There's also a great mystique, no, not our favorite Blue Mutant, about him, since generally speaking, the audience never sees his face after the accident that scarred him. It's left to interpretation if his face is horrifically mangled or if it is one small scar that made him that made the perfectionist doom lose his mind. This is a huge mistake in the Tim Story films made in, in letting the audience see his face. What does it say about these filmmakers that Roger Corman's infamous unreleased film comes the closest to representing Dr. Doom as he is in the comics? Ironically, the day I saw Trank's Fantastic Four movie, I watched an episode of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes that featured a crossover with the Fantastic Four. Doctor Doom was a villain. In the end, both teams fight him, but Doom incapacitates all of them with ease using his armor's technology, sits on his throne, and tells them all to leave. That's Doctor Doom. Anyway, thanks for reading my message. Make mine marvel, Agent Nate. P.S. Daniel. I've realized I may not have read the right Deadpool comics since I, like Ben, am not fond of the humor style being used in the Merc with the Mouth's upcoming film. The comics I've read and the media I've seen that featured Daredevil or <laughs> featured Deadpool had absurdist jokes, but were rarely crude. Since you're such a well-read fan of Mr. Pool, what graphic novels would you recommend I read to prepare for the movie? Thanks ahead of time for your recommendation. Daniel, do you need a little bit of time to to give an answer to that question? Because there is an addendum to the email that he he sends along. Go ahead and shoot out the addendum. Okay, and I'll give you a little time to 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 get, make some recommendations. Addendum from Agent Nate. One more thing I forgot to mention in my last feedback email. I disagree with Ben on one point he made in his otherwise superb statement. Uh, he's talking about my my open letter <laughs> to Fox. I think Marvel should get the film rights to Fantastic Four and all the rest of their properties, for that matter. This new movie shows that no one seems to know how to properly adapt the Fantastic Four, but I'm sure there are plenty at Marvel Studios who could. You're concerned that it'd push back the other films as valid, which is why I think it'd be smart to wait to bring them in until after Infinity War. That way, there are important new characters who could replace the current Avengers in a way. Otherwise, I personally think that the MCU should either be retired or it should go on hiatus for a few years before it becomes unsustainable or even more audiences get burned out on superheroes. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Sincerely, Agent Nate. Uh, My response to that is that I don't believe that no one can get Fantastic Four right. 
I do believe that there are people who are not at Marvel Studios who could get it right. They're just not at Fox right now. So there's there is that. But um, but I still stand strong with my 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 firm belief that, you know, keep it at Fox. If Fox can just find some right people. But uh, yeah, back to the, the other question, though, about about Deadpool. Well, I'll be honest. What would you recommend? I'm still doing, I'm still doing a little research here. We've got a lot to choose from. So I will say this. I am a huge fan of the last volume of Deadpool. When I say volume, I'm talking about an entire run through one through 30, whatever. Um, but Jerry Dugan and uh, Brian Bashan had a, a real, a real panache to making a joke, making a lewd joke at times, but still being able to have Deadpool say something. Um. When you say have Deadpool say something, you mean the story says something, not just yeah, that Daredevil yeah. or D- Deadpool himself is actually speaking. One of the one of the arguments that you've often not fought against when I talk about it is Deadpool in many ways is an unlikely hero, and he's a hero who is totally on a hero's journey because he's a mercenary. He's a merc with a mouth, and so he's, he's a murdering murderer who murders. Yeah, so he's a very unlikely hero. He so, murders people not just for money. He does it for fun too sometimes. Yeah. But that's a yeah. different story. Um No, that's a that's the same story. That's Deadpool. <laughs> that's one of the things and, I anyway, keep going, keep going. This is not my this say? is not my conversation. So, this is yours. So so I do think that Dugan and Pashan really have a good do a good job of balancing the humor, the action, and the actual meat. And so if you were going to start with them, I would go ahead and start with Deadpool, Dead Presidents, because come on, Deadpool, Boxing Mouch, Zombie, Abraham Lincoln. Come on. It, it, it's so crazy. It, it's there. And when I saw it, I couldn't believe it. So, again, I, anything from them, Dugan and Pashan, I recommend it highly. I'm a big fan of it. There's also a huge shield influence in it. And when I say huge shield influence, they created their own agents with their own stories that have only really been seen in those Deadpool volumes. Um, one of those agents is Agent Scott Adzit, which if you're a fan of, a fan of 30 Rock, Scott Adzit is an actor who was on 30 Rock. He's also the voice of Baymax. <laughs> and, he, and they turned him into a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent because Bashan and Dugan are, are comedians and they're friends with Adzit and they thought it was funny to make him a character and so they created him as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who loves Spider-Man the same way that Coulson loves Captain America. Um, and Coulson has got a great... Some of the, the best Coulson stuff was done in their volumes of Deadpool where it's actually like I could see Clark Gregg saying these lines at the same time where secret Avengers sometimes didn't know what to do with him. They seem to be doing a really good job with him in uh, Deadpool. Now, if you want to go back to the early stuff, you probably do have to go back and consider Deadpool classics, which collects some of that, that stuff. Now, the thing is if it's going to be hit and miss um, because the story quality is going to change. Artists, creators are going to change. But I do, I really do like Deadpool Classic Volume 1, which includes that first appearance in New Mutants. Now, Ben, can I give you a, a warning? No. Okay, so, anything that's Deadpool anyway. versus or Deadpool kills 
usually don't do very well because usually those really focus on when dead. I say on violence. That's they really, really focus on the violence stuff and just having him kill people. And so I know that people love those volumes by Colin Bunn. Me, not as much. Okay. Well, there you have it. Agent Nate. Hope that's a good starting Again, point for he's you. He's fighting for zombie presidents. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not going to be reading any of these to get ready for the movie. I'm going to. I don't the, think you need to. I'm going to take the movie on its own merits and decide that I don't like it after that. So, I am glad that you've come to that realization. <laughs> yeah, and at least I'm willing to say that it could be bad. I'm glad to I'll hear you to say that. It. I'm glad to hear you say that because you've been kind of a, an evangelist for for Deadpool. Again, I think Deadpool is a, if it's not done right, it's exactly everything that you hate about Deadpool. Well, the other problem is you say he's on a hero's journey, which that would be great. The one problem with that is it's serialized storytelling. They can't finish the journey. Well, I, the Daniel Wade volume, Way volume, which I think is Deadpool volume two, they really give him the opportunity to finish the journey where he starts as a mercenary and ends as a hero. And hey, he's going to be an Avenger soon, right? I don't know. Is he? Yeah, well, at least he's going to claim so. I'm pretty sure Avengers that are planning on some appearances because yeah. he sells books. He does do that. And that's another reason why I don't like him is oversaturation. But that's another story. So, yeah, well, Daniel, um, we have done the, the voice, uh, not the voice, we've done the, uh, the messages from our website and that have been lost. And do you have any, any final words? Not until my billy clubs. All right. Well, let's get into that. Final verdict. How many billy clubs do you give this episode, Daniel? The path Pull, of the righteous. Pulling out the saw. All Got right. it from Melvin's workshop. Nice, nice. Is it a uh, circular saw? No, it's old school. Okay, all right. Fair Arm enough. power. Fair enough. 3.75. 3.75. You know, I like my partial gloves. I like to do a little carpentry around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you're keeping at a, at least a, with the quarters instead of going to like a 3.67 or something like that. Ugh. Don't even get me started when they start saying that in wrench sizes. I'm like completely lost. And I'm going to go with just a nice solid four. Solid four. No saws involved. But a solid four is a solid episode. It's above average. Uh, not for Daredevil. It's average for Daredevil. Um, but it's above average for a lot of television. And yeah, we are getting a solid, solid series. From, from the Marvel Television Development Department for Netflix. So... I think it's time for us to uh, wrap this episode up then, Daniel. And I do want to apologize to people about those lost messages. And I I have taken the blame for this uh, and for not digging them up and, and not realizing there was a problem there. Um, but on the flip side, Daniel, mistakes were made here. Problems were had on a technical level. Something caused this to happen. Or someone caused this to happen. And so, Daniel, I have a I have a request I want to make of you. Okay. Daniel, 
You need to find who did this. You need to. I want to look in their eyes when I salt the earth with their blood. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Once again, thanks for listening, and remember, Welcome to Level 7. It's not just a podcast. It's a magical place. I wouldn't really salt the earth with anyone's blood. That's, very, that's really aggressive. That's very violent. That's, that's kind of a, dead, be, a Deadpool-ish wow. thing to do. Wow. No, I wouldn't do that. That is not the hero's journey, buddy. Yeah, but, you know, fortunately for me, you know, I'm not a serialized character who has to continue maintaining status quo. So I, I can grow and I can get past this violent... Violent but nature. the good thing about him is, is like Wolverine, they keep messing with his memory. So every time that hero journey, <laughs> it's done, they just reset him again. That's the good thing. Yeah. Well, for the writer. Yeah. Yeah. You just reset him, make him go through the hero's journey again. And maybe it's a good thing for some of the readers, too, because they want to see him be him. But, you know, that that volume, that way volume, the hero's journey is, you know, trying to be a hero for himself, you know, just trying to be the good guy, trying to learn how to be a superhero, which was kind of funny, you know, because he's trying, trying so hard. The volume three, the Dugan and Pashan volume, it's really I'm trying for other people to be a hero. Well, yeah. Uh, and we're having more comic book talk here than expected. But next episode is going to be comic book talk as we get into some shield stuff. So. Boom. All right. See you then, Daniel. I'll see you then. Or actually, I won't. I will hear you then, Daniel. I will hear you You realize then. I've spent more time talking to you today than my kids? Chew That's on that one for a actually bit. actually a little bit sad. A little bit. <laughs>